our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. What were the 18 months like prior to your dad's <sighs> passing? Mm. They were um, probably the, one of the hardest places um, that I've ever been. But I went traded for the world, if that makes sense. Um, I took my dad to chemo and radi you know, the radiation. And um, I was able, thank God at that time I was consulting. Um, I was able to spend a level of time with him. And it's a it's a very different um time looks different when you know you don't have um much of it left. Welcome to the Dear Son Podcast. This is a safe space where men share their fatherhood journey. These conversations are transparent and more importantly, vulnerable. Now, because each fatherhood story is situationally nuanced, some topics are heavier than others. The commonality found amongst all the guests is a genuine desire to help and inspire other men through telling their story. And now, here's your host, Derek Johns. Derek Johns. All righty. Welcome to the Dead Song Podcast. This is typically a safe space where men have vulnerable conversations about the fatherhood journey. If you've been keeping up with the content, you realize that we're in a series where we're talking to the women because their perspective on fatherhood is very, very important. Today, I have the fifth and final guest in this initial installment, uh, Deborah Faith. Perry, welcome to the Dear Son Podcast. How are you, my sister? I am amazing. Thank you for having me. I'm so I happy appreciate to be here. It. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and has also been a theme with many of the guests in this series. We came across each other in the podcasting space. Absolutely. So I'm a I fan of the show. Likewise, <laughs> yes. likewise. And everybody recognized that she's branding way better than I am on my show. <laughs> so if there's any any uh, confusion about what podcast this is, it's mine for now. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see how the show goes. But uh, Deborah or Deb, because she gave me that Deb authority. Deb is fine. Deb yeah, is fine. Deb. She gave me that authority. Yeah. As long let, as let it's not Debbie. We can't do Debbie. Done. 
Okay. Too easy. Yes. Too easy. And that's a bad reference for me and some <laughs> some colleagues, but okay. it's a whole nother show. <laughs> Let the folks know what your podcast is about that's so eloquently and beautifully displayed in the background. Yeah. Um, so I am Deborah Faith and my podcast is the Exchange Place Podcast. And my space is is a special place. It's my baby. Um, it actually deals with unaddressed trauma. And we basically deal with not just the fruit, but the root cause of why, you know, from mental health to boundaries to people pleasing. And we give people mirrors as as well as windows. So we show you where you may be and where it's possible to go. So I always say that I show my scars so people know it's possible to heal. Gotcha. Yeah. How long has the podcast been running? Um, it's been a year. It just turned a year old in March, March 3rd. Congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you. What have you learned about yourself in the podcast process? Um, that healing is a process. Mm. <laughs> yes. Mm. Um, and that is, it's a journey and not a destination. And the more I think that people sit around this table with me, um, I'm privy to their stories, their transparency and their vulnerability, vulnerability so much um, that it, it, it keeps me looking myself in the mirror um, yeah. and keeps checking myself and making sure that I'm growing and I'm not stunted in certain areas and that I'm actually looking myself in the mirror, which is, of course, one of the hardest things to do, honestly. That, that's, that's really tough. Was there a specific event or string of events that prompted you to get on the mic because there's something extremely therapeutic for me and mm -hmm. getting it out right and for me getting it out in public held me accountable to keep getting it out wow so what what was your shift into this space have you always been a communicator good talking to the public what kind of what kind of pushed you into into this space that and actually this is probably um a key into my dad um i lost my dad in 2016 um and i always say that losing him i had experienced a ton of grief prior to that um but losing him in his death i found my life um wow. i found my purpose um, my conversations that seem to just be conversations that I would have with people on the porch. I always say I had porch talk. I had porch talk with my dad a lot, um, became more valuable, honestly. And in the 18 months that I had with him, um, he, uh, he left here due to cancer. Um, I had 18 months with him, but watching him transition, um, I found me. And I know that's that's always a hard place um, because he's not here to see um, yeah. the fruit of what his death did um, to me. But it birthed something beautiful. And he's one of the reasons that I sit behind this mic and talk about all my scars and all the things that I've been through in the transparent way that I do. Yeah, well, I can say from what I've heard, you, you're honoring his memory and his legacy. Um, and I think he would be proud if it's not too far to me to say that. Uh, what What was your relationship like with your father before he was diagnosed? So I always say that I had two different versions of my dad. Um, hmm. 
my dad's life taught me taught me a, a ton of things. But one of the bigger things was I always say that I had two versions of him. Um, and the the relationship that we had to answer your question um, before he left here was me getting to know him more as a person and not a parent. Um, and me getting to understand the why behind a lot of things that I experienced in my younger um, childhood. Right. Yeah. So let's let's jump back to that part of your story, your childhood. What was the family dynamic like? Was your dad in your life in the house kind of characterized with that? Yeah. So my up? dad was always was like, um, in my home. I come from a two parent household. Um, there was four of us. Um, I am technically, I have an older brother. Um, I lost my young, my oldest sister. She died before I was born. Um, and then it's me. And then I had a younger sister who died in my arms when I was 12 and she was 10. Wow. Yeah. Is it okay if we pull that thread a little bit? That's, that's oh, a lot. Absolutely. What was, what was this scenario? How did it happen? Um, when I was so my my younger sister was um, handicapped um, or disabled. Um, she had cerebral palsy, um, had seizures most most of her life. They when we were younger, of course, I didn't know this, but they told my parents that she wouldn't live past two. Um, so she did live to 10. Um, yeah, the the day that she left here was one that I remember way too well. Um, my mom had gone to church that day. Um, I was always responsible for my, my sister. I was, I, I don't know. I don't know what I gave off as a child to, you know, be able to take care of her, but I was always, um, the one that took care of her. So it was herself and me in the house. She wasn't feeling well. So my mom left her home with me. Um, and my mom called me probably mid-afternoon um, to go check on her because I was working on a social studies project. And I always felt, I think as a child, that I waited too long to check on her. But by the time I had gone to check on her, she was um, just, I don't, I don't even know what to call it, what was coming out of her nose and her mouth. Um, and it wasn't like a seizure. It wasn't like the normal procedure because I was very much trained in how to, um, you know, there's a, and I don't even know what it's called these days that you would actually um, put in her mouth to make sure her tongue didn't block her airway yeah. and all of that. Um, but at that point, she was basically losing life um, as I know it today. You know what I mean? As a 12-year-old, as a I don't think I knew really what was happening. Um, I knew that there was something definitely wrong. And to, you know, start making phone calls or try to make phone calls. But honestly, I froze um, in that moment. Um, and, you know, she she died um, in my arms, um, us waiting for the ambulance to come. Right. Yeah. Did How did that change the relationship within the household <laughs> with the other family members? Um. I think for me, it's probably very different. I can't speak for my parents. I think, um, again, at that time, mental health and that kind of thing wasn't something that we talked about. Right. Um, so we went back very quickly to normalcy or what 
seem to be normal or, um, you know, them trying to almost not talk about it. I don't remember any real conversations that I had. I think the first conversation that I had with my mom was probably probably about three or four years ago. Um, wow. In regards to my sister, we it wasn't anything that we talked about. You just kind of went back. I think I stayed out of school a few weeks and then I went back to school and things continued as normal. Um, not so for me. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, right. you know, what my what my mom and, and dad were dealing with at that time, if I'm honest, um, because I'm a parent. So I know that they had to really be going through. Um, and on top of that, they you know, they that wasn't their first loss. Um, they had lost my older sister as well. So I'm sure that yeah. they were going through it, but it wasn't something that was vocalized. It wasn't something we ever talked about. Um, and it created, if I'm honest, a lot of what I saw fruit in my life later on, because it was kind of like, okay, I, I started to tell myself I was okay, um, when I was not okay. Um, and nobody would be okay. And especially a 12 year old, um, at that, you know, that particular time to be able to process what had happened and right. the why, um, I grew up in a very religious household, um, so my mom was like, you know, like she told me a couple of years ago, you know, that she had prayed for me. Um, and don't get me wrong. I love the Lord and I understand prayer, but I do understand if I, you know, if I break my arm, <laughs> you know, I'm going to the hospital. Right. So I don't think that they had the tools. Um, I think my parents gave me what they probably were given themselves. And I don't know that they knew what to do in that in that um in that space at what point did you realize um how it impacted you because if 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 i understood the story correctly that was this rush to get back to normal right so mm -hmm. you probably had to put on um a look a persona uh to, to represent the family in terms of we're 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 going through this we're we're not um we're not victims of this. God is the greatest. We'll get through it. Yeah. But at some point, I, I would imagine that that it kind of hits you um, that there's this, this void created and there's some things that you needed to address because of the passing of your sister. Yeah. Do you recall when it happened? I don't I don't think I realized if I'm honest, I don't think that I was able to connect some of the things and how I process things. Cause it really, it made me numb. Um, it made me numb to grieving. Um, I lost my sister, my grandfather and my grandmother, great grandmother, so, excuse me, um, within probably a year and a half. Wow. Um, so it taught me how to pretend if I'm honest, it taught yeah. me to look okay and not really be okay. Um, I went on to, you know, lose my first son. I just learned how to look okay. Um, it really wasn't until my dad died that I really started the grieving process, if I'm honest, and really could connect back throughout all of the loss that I had had in my life because I was so numb. It was just like, it's like almost like the walking dead. Um, and in those places, I feel like I was successful. So I don't think people knew. Wow. Um, I was the, you know, the person that, like my mom says, you're always okay. 
Um, and that was the, actually the conversation that I had with her. It was, no, I'm not always okay. I've been taught to be okay. Right. Um, and I've learned that. That's a learned behavior. But it really wasn't until, like, my dad's death, though it bir birthed my purpose, um, I think it brought up and made me, I don't know if it made me or forced me to really confront that 12-year-old girl and why I had done and it made so many bad choices and what was really driving that. And I, yeah, it was definitely around 2016, 2017 after he was gone and I could really kind of, <sighs> yeah. and um, that was the first time that I could remember someone's death impacting me to a way that I couldn't do my normal, put my face on, you know yeah. what I mean? I couldn't, I couldn't hide what I was feeling and it wasn't just his death. I think it was, um, really the uncovering of things that I had packed away for so long. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned the two versions of your father, mm -hmm. was it pre-diagnosis and after, or were there two phases that where one spanned a period before the diagnosis? Um, so my dad's younger self, and I always say he has, his life gives me hope that there is a possibility of change. Um, I'm always, and I always wanna honor him in the man that he was, but I really watched him grow up you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Not knowing. And I know sometimes as a as a child, you think your parents have it all together. Right. Um, but my my childhood, my dad was he was a, first of all, he was a, he was a Vietnam vet. Um, he struggled with PTSD, um, which now I know what that is. Right. When I was a kid, he would lock himself in the closet with his guns. He drank a lot. Um he was abusive to my mom um, in places and spaces. He just was he, always a hard worker, you know, always in the home, but he wasn't the man that I buried. Do you know what I mean? I um, so I would say till about maybe, I think probably, I was probably like a junior in high school, my dad got really sick. And I always say, he didn't die because we thought that he was so sick. We thought that he was going to leave here. But the man who came home was not the man who left. Um, and that man was just, he was amazing. Um, he was, he was just there for everything. He was able to kind of talk to me, I think, in a space and place that other people may have not seen my you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to say weakness, but but seen me. Um, but I've always felt like he saw me. Yeah. Um, and I learned to meet him where he was. Um, yeah, I learned I learned to go to where he was. My dad didn't uh, he didn't travel. He what I call social anxiety. He wouldn't go out much. He would sit on the porch and he was a, the observer who talked to everybody in the neighborhood. Um we had the house that all the kids came to and, you know, got fed, whether you were fed through food or fed through wisdom. Right. Um, so that's that's the man who left here um, where, you know, again, the past him wasn't that person. You know what I mean? What was it about the relationship, even through his maturing 
which ultimately turned out to be uh, a great story before he transitioned. Mm -hmm. What was it about your relationship with him where you were able to so freely entertain and embrace the new him? Yeah. Right. I imagine that there was some some times where he wasn't or couldn't be there for you before he made that change. Yeah. And some would you know they would be upset they'd be mad there'd be a little uh resentment how did you there's emotional there's a level of emotional maturity that's threading through this conversation whether you realize it or not mm -hmm. and i'm i'm very interested in that how through all of it you were able to receive him and as mm -hmm. you say meet him where he was yeah i you know what's what's funny i think um I was always a daddy's girl, even though, so my dad worked so much that he was never around um, mm. when I was younger. Um, I think once I became a parent and, you know, being a single parent, knowing how much I like had to work and what the the sacrifices was, I think maybe it gave me um, em empathy or allowed me to empathize with what he probably was experiencing then. Um, I never hated my father. I think there was definitely times, again, the you know, the old him and seeing some of the things that him and my mom went through that I was upset with him, but I always loved him. Um, and it was never to a place where I feel like it's not possible for him to be a part of my life because I wanted him there. I think I had moments probably in my teenage years where it was kind of that well, you haven't been here or you haven't, you know, I, I used to sing a lot as a child. You haven't come to all of these things, you know, why show up now? I do remember feeling like that, but I feel like that that feeling never lasted long because even in my like even in my my dad's mess, we always had like a connection. I almost used to feel bad sometimes um, because I know that, you know, again, the stuff that was kind of going on with him and my mom. I felt like I was, you know, I not I couldn't choose him. I don't know if that makes sense, but like it does. I couldn't necessarily choose him at that place that I probably in in the in the way that I wanted to choose him. But I, we had a conversation when I um, I'm trying to think. I probably was a little over twenty, so somewhere around twenty three. And I remember kind of voicing, which I've never had a problem talking, as you know, um, but I remember voicing like, hey, why don't you, you know, why weren't you kind of there? Um, and he was just like, I was, you know, my mom was a stay at home mom. He was the the breadwinner. Um, and he was just like, I, you know, I, I wanted to be there, but I couldn't be there. And I don't know. I just I always, you know, I always loved my dad. So I, I heard him. I understood him. And. I allowed him to, you know, do, I feel like when I had my children, he wanted to be the dad he wanted to be for me and didn't right. and didn't or couldn't or didn't have the capacity to. So he loved my boys to another extent. I mean, to this day, especially my youngest son, that was like his partner in crime. Um, he gave them a, the experience that I think he really wanted to give us and just didn't, he didn't have it to give. People can only give what, what they have. So I think as he matured, um, not trying to make up for what he missed out on, but I, I feel like he had the opportunity um, 
to get to know not just, you know, the my kids, but to get me to know me better and understand me. And me and my dad are so much alike. So wow. much alike. So much alike. What did you see? What did you see that type of response or behavior model, right? Like mm -hmm. the like we were just talking about. Um, you explained what it was about your dad as to why you were able to meet him at the time when you needed to meet him, when he was making that change. But did you have a reference in your family or in your in your village where people loved unconditionally and yeah. and you and you understood it because you saw it modeled? Yeah, I think I did. I think my mom is that um they were married um forty six years um, before my dad left here. Um, and I watched her love him um, through right. that. And yeah, so I, I think I did have the example. I've never, it's funny that you said that because I don't think I ever thought of it like that, but I definitely saw that. Um, I saw her love him, you know, in spite of everything that he was going through and went through um, until he left here. Yeah. yeah. And your mom is still? Yeah, you? my mom's still here. Okay. Yes. How was how how his transition impacted your relationship with your mom? It's so, so you know how, um, and I don't know if everybody will agree with this, but this is just my perspective. Um, not that you have favorites, but I always feel like parents usually or, or children usually go with, you know, you go, you're closer in one way or another to one parent. Sure. Um, it's been really interesting since my dad is gone, if I'm honest, um, because my dad was my parent, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like he was the one who understood me more. I feel like my mom and my, my brother are super, super close. Me and my mom are cool. We're probably, we probably don't have the traditional relationship, <laughs> um, as a mother and daughter, um, my mom also was, again, she was a stay-at-home uh, stay mother all her life. Uh, my dad was, you know, he, he was the breadwinner. He took care of everything. So my mom, in a lot of ways, when my dad left here, the tables kind of turned to, I'm that per like, I'm not, I'm him, but I had to get, and I had to restructure. It took me a while to restructure that because I did feel very responsible for my mom once wow. my dad left um, to take care of everything and of course help her out, but to a level that I don't think initially was as healthy um, as it as it should be for me. Right. Um, so we're cool. She has a birthday coming up on Sunday. So happy <laughs> yeah. birthday, the the twenty seventh. <laughs> yes. So we're not supposed to date content, but I think your mom is special. So yeah. March 27th, that's actually my wedding anniversary. Oh, so come on now. Now I can't forget it. Now <laughs> I can't forget it. Yeah. Yes. Um, what were the 18 months like prior to your dad's <sighs> passing? Mm. They were... Um, Probably the one of the hardest places um, that I've ever been, but I went traded for the world. If that makes sense, um, I took my dad to chemo and radi you know the radiation and 
um, I was able, thank God at that time I was consulting, um, I was able to spend a level of time with him. And it's a, it's a very different, um, time looks different when you know you don't have um, much of it left. Right. So the way, the intentionality of spending time, the intentionality of conversations, um, it just looks so much different. Um, it was probably the, the best 18 months that I ever spent with him because I really got to understand the why behind who he was and we got to talk about things that probably parents and children never discuss. <clears throat> so it was a hard time. It made me appreciate life. And yeah. I always say that death has a way of um, giving you a different level of appreciation for life um, and understanding that you don't always get tomorrow. I know we say that cliche, um, but sometimes putting off things like, oh, when the kids get bigger, I'll do that. Um, my dad used to share with me because he was a huge fisher and hunter and he never really got to retire. Um, he retired because he was sick. Right. And I remember him specifically one day kind of saying like, you know, don't be like me because now he had all the time off in the world. Um, but he wasn't able to do anything. Yeah. And again, kind of back to why I created the exchange place. I just felt like, um, you know, being a single parent, sometimes we put off and not just single parents. Cause I know that parents, you, you kind of, when you have children, not everybody, but I know for me, when I had children, my entire focus, my entire, everything was just so focused on them that I kind of forgot about, I forgot to dream. I forgot to like take care of me in those places. And I learned when he left here that, you know, tomorrow is really not promised. And I'm glad that I had those 18 months because I know some people lose their parents and it's sudden and you don't get to say everything. And even though you feel like you're saying everything, sometimes it's like, you know, I just want to tell him one more time this, or I just want to say, you know, this, or did I forget to say this? Um, but I was at peace right. um, with him. The the my dad fought hard because he was he was making sure like like me, <laughs> always making sure everybody else was okay. Um, he was still technically alive, but he was fighting for his life because he wanted to make sure that my mom was okay and all her benefits and everything had come through. And I remember wow. going to the hospital that Sunday and letting him know it was okay to go. And he died that Monday morning. Um, and he spent his life, you know what I mean? Sacrificing for everyone else. Um, yeah. How... You let him know that it was okay to go. Mm, yeah, that was the level of that's that that's a deeper connection with anyone, right? Especially a parent where you understand. I imagine that you understood he was tired. Yeah. Right. Yep. And it when my when my grandmother passed. Those were her her words. I'm tired. 
Yeah. And to see that in somebody um, can be disheartening, can be demoralizing. And for, for, forgive me if this is too suggestive, but it seems like that was almost an empowering moment, final moment in your relationship. Is that anywhere near accurate? Yeah, definitely. Um, I I honestly think in those in those moments, like I, I felt like he had been carrying so much that he still was fighting for us, still was kind of sacrificing even in his death for us, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I just wanted him to know that like I had it, you know what I mean? I I had everything covered and it was, you know, not permission to go, but just like it's okay. Like we're gonna be okay. I got it. Um yeah. And I, I I think there was comfort in that. Like I remember getting the call. Like I remember when my phone rang that Monday morning and just knowing, like I just knew he wasn't here anymore. I just right. I don't know. It, I, I know people like, yeah, but I just I felt it. I knew that in that place, especially at the stage he was, um, you couldn't really talk to him. He was like really non-responsive for the most part, but I knew that he heard me, you know what I mean? And I knew yeah. that, yeah, I, I just knew he was gone. So my father, my father was in Vietnam as well. So mm -hmm. his dad was before that, right? So he comes from that school of love is demonstrated, it's not really said, right? Yeah. It's provision, it's all of those things. And he had to bury his father my dad was, was somewhere between 20 and 22 when mm -hmm. he buried his father. His father died of cancer. And I had a conversation with him. He never actually mourned it, right? And this is many decades after that. But to him, it was so normal to just put on. Now he had to be the man. He was the oldest of four siblings. Yeah, It was pressure. He actually buried his father and went back to Vietnam, right? Wow. Like in a very short window of time because he had to provide, right? And, and I think that distracted him from actually dealing with it. I don't wanna go into or even assess whether you've dealt with it or not, but what was that transition of responsibility, how did it impact you, your ability to take care of you, to mind your family, take care of a family? Like, how did all that responsibility, how did you do it? How did you, how did you bear it? Um, so initially, <laughs> or now, um, so initially, um, I did everything. I mean, I took that, again, me and my dad are similar in you know, just kind of strapping up your boots and, and digging in. Um, and that's exactly what I did is kind of like, you know, even during him being sick, taking him to chemo and radiation, it was, I was in an unhealthy place, if I'm honest, um, a very unhealthy place. I mean, to the point where, you know, I'm taking care of that house, taking care of my own house, making sure my mom's good, you know, running from bank accounts to 
I mean, everything. My dad took care of everything. Um, so I have this other load and I am not at the probably the first year and a half I was losing my mind. But I felt so responsible. Yeah. Um, I almost felt like I would I had to be him. Um, in a wow. sense to my mom, because I wasn't sure how she was going to manage. You got to think her whole, pretty much her whole adult life was spent, you know, not ever having to pay a bill, not ever having like none of that was ever on her plate. Wow. Um, she took care of us well. She took care of the home well, but anything else I did. So even being able to, you know, sell the house and all of that, I was at the front of that. And um, it, it got overwhelming so much so I don't think I noticed how overwhelmed I was until my mom came to live with me. Mm. Um, she stayed with me probably, me and the boys for probably like a year and a half. And then I was like, I, I, we have to find her a place. My mom is healthy and I, we have to find her a place because this is just not, it, it's not working. It's too much. Um it's too much. And then me and my brother worked something out where, you know, she's like, we were able to get her in her own place and she's really close to me. And I'm, you know, we're able to manage that. So that's so much better. But it took me probably a year and a half to to get to a place where I was like, <laughs> I can't do this. This is not my weight to carry. I can't carry this weight. I can help, but I, I can't. I can't do wow. it. How did your relationship with your father impact how you chose and managed relationships with with men? I don't, you know what's funny? I think I initially chose who my dad was in certain aspects. So, um, but not in totality. So I've never been in an abusive relationship physically, okay. um, to say the least. I have, however, chose partners um, in the past that were um, not necessarily focused on family and just kind of focused on either providing and not necessarily actually being present, if I'm honest. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if I've ever met my dad. You know how people say that you date your dad? <laughs> and yeah. usually I don't know if that's true because I've never had my my dad. If there's nothing else, first of all, he was never leaving us. Um, and even in um, probably his worst places, like he's always provided whatever he had to do. So I, I don't know that I'm, I've met my dad or dated my yeah. dad, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I've never what? met a man that works harder than my my dad or works as hard as he did. Got it. Got it. What, um, what characteristic do you see in you that you know that's your dad? <laughs> the most impactful one. The most impactful one. Um, hmm. That is a good question. The most impactful one. I would probably say his resilience. Mm. Yeah, I would definitely say that. Like, <clears throat> my dad was a fighter. Um, and he never gave up on whatever he was doing, no matter what that was. 
Um, whether he was doing it well or not, uh, yeah, I definitely get that from him, along with his temper. <laughs> but, <Ooh>. <laughs> yeah. So what is what does resilience look like for you day to day? Are there still things that you're struggling with, you're dealing with, you're working through? Oh, absolutely. What is what are some of those <laughs> things that you can share? Oh, absolutely. Um, like I said, healing's healing is literally it is really a journey. Um I th- I think probably the 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 hardest thing that I'm working through now is like not going back and making things right. Cause I think once you you're aware of um, who you were, I always say my kids too have gotten two different versions, especially my oldest son um, <laughs> of me, but I'm still working through parenting. I'm still working through becoming the, the, the best version of me. You know what I mean? I'm still, I still see fault in me. Um, I still see areas, especially in relationships um, that I'm working on. That's why I'm not in a relationship right now that I feel like, you know, let me work on myself where you can kind of look back in relationships you've been in and been like, okay, and actually take responsibility for um, things not working. It's not just one person. It's like, hey, okay, that didn't work. They may have done this, but where are you in that? So really locating me. um, And it's something that I'm always working through. I'm always looking at me. I'm always checking to see, hey, is that like a trigger? Is that something that you have had? Is there a reason for that? Is it deeper than, hey, I just reacted in this moment? So I do a lot of processing. (laughs) Um, And sometimes that means quiet time. Sometimes that means, you know, processing what I want to say to someone and in areas where I may want to, you know, convey how I'm feeling at a moment. Um, But I definitely, I know my kids can attest to, I definitely have grown in that area. Um, I'm not where I want to be though. I still have a lot of growing to do, like we all do, you know what I mean? I just, I recognize it and I'm aware of it. You still consider yourself an empath today? Do I consider myself an empath? Yeah. I do. What made you you ask that? Well, because the nature of your content, your Mm -hmm. posts, your podcasts, you said healing probably 17 times in this conversation and i'm not making light of it but when you're always trying to help sometimes you don't realize when or if you have help if you're always the helper so so what is your safe space to recharge to regroup because you're so busy trying to help everybody else not trying but helping helping others so i do think i have a balance i I think in the past I didn't, if I'm honest, I definitely didn't have a balance. Um, Now I know when too much is too much, if that makes sense. I know when to, um, I know when to stop. I know when things are not my assignment. Um, Whereas I think before I would have been like in my car going here, there, So my life definitely doesn't look like that anymore. Um, Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't. I, 
unfortunately, I had to cut off um, a lot of relationships that were used to that dynamic um, of me and just kind of being there. But I always say, I think in that, um, and a lot of that goes back to the 12-year-old girl, I couldn't save my sister. Mm -hmm. So I spent my life trying to save other people. Um, and I realized that. So I know that it's not my assignment to save everybody. Um, yeah. And I, I know when I get to a place where I need to recharge and what does that look like for me? It's normally, I'm very introverted, but believe it or not. <laughs> um, so I, I, I take time. I take time and do what makes me happy. And whether that's the spa, um, whether that's just reading sometimes or relaxing, um, and sometimes just being at home, you know, with the boys or just being quiet sometimes. How old are your boys? Um, my oldest will be 20 in May and my youngest is 15. Deborah, I've said your name correctly twice yes, at least <laughs> in this podcast. I appreciate the conversation. Um, we only scratched the surface because there's only so much time. You, you've dealt with a lot. You've overcome and worked through a lot. I commend you. I'm proud of you from a distance, but just being who you are, considering the scars and the battles that you fought. Um, I want to circle back before we before we get out of here. I want you to let the audience know where they can find you, what they'll find in your podcast, um, and basically just how to contact you if somebody's looking to, to reach out. Absolutely. Um, for anyone who wants to find me on social media, um, my personal uh, IG is faith 105 um, to follow the exchange place, which you definitely want to. It is the exchange place. And that's X, not not the EX <laughs> um, exchange place on IG. Um, we're on all streaming platforms, iHeart, Spotify, Apple. We're on YouTube. Check us out. And what they can look for is a lot of healing, as you said. <laughs> There's a lot, a lot of, of healing going on. But we talk about real things. We talk about boundaries. We talk about people pleasing. Um, we talk about loss and grief and, and how to manage that. And again, we give you mirrors and we also give you windows of where you can be. And I'm growing right along with everybody else. Got it. Well, I appreciate you for uh, for stopping by the show. Um, to my audience, go to the website, the Dear Son Podcast. There's stuff. There's things you could buy. There's ways you can donate. I got to get better at selling, but not on this episode. <laughs> That's going to do it for this installment. Uh, again, we thank our guests for blessing us with our presence. Um, we appreciate you guys. God bless you. Peace. The Dear Son Podcast is produced by D. John's Live Studios. All rights reserved. Don't forget to rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform. We'll see you here next time. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable. With stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah soft. Made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.